We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar, Putting Your Literacy Data to Work from Classroom to Central Office. My name is Frank Smith, and I'm here today just facilitating our presenters. It's Leslie Zaroya, Andrea Williams, Lorraine Zapata, and Dr. Cheryl Lundy Swift. We're so excited for you to join us this afternoon. As you know, today's session is Putting Your Literacy Data to Work from the Classroom to Central Office. We've got quite a crew of experts here today. I'm excited to get started. So let's go ahead and introduce who it is that's gonna be leading our discussion today. Cheryl? Hi everyone, my name is Cheryl Lundy Swift and I'm gonna be the moderator for this awesome panel. Uh, I serve as a professional learning director for Learning Without Tears. I'm super excited to be here with you and really super excited for you to hear all of this wonderful work that's happening with these amazing district and school leaders from the LA County of Education, Lancaster and Joshua Elementary School. So ladies, why don't you introduce yourselves in the following order. Leslie, we'll have you go first and Andrea and then Lorraine. Hi everyone, I'm Leslie Zaroya. I'm the Project Director for Reading Language Arts at Los Angeles County Office of Education. And I'm here today with one of our partners in the structured literacy work from Lancaster School District. I'm so excited to be here with them and with all of you. Hello everyone, my name is Andrea Williams and I am a district literacy coach in Lancaster School District. Also got to work with Leslie and have worked with uh, Lorraine Zapata, Mrs. Zapata to me for many, many years. Um, so excited about today. Hi, I'm Lorraine Zapata. I'm the proud principal of Joshua Elementary and we have been on this journey for about three years and we are just very thankful for Leslie and Lancaster School District. Awesome. Well, ladies, it is absolutely a pleasure to have you. I actually had the opportunity to meet these wonderful ladies in person at their amazing Structured Literacy Conference out there in LA. It was awesome. But obviously, we are here because there was a problem. <laughs> we know that you had a problem of practice, and I'd love for you to really explain you know, what we're going to be talking about today. Give us some context, Andrea. So I will start by just giving us an idea of um, kind of the district snapshot around Lancaster. Um, we are a Title One district in Lancaster. We are in the southern part of California, for those of you that are not in California, and um, kind of the um, northern part of uh, Los Angeles County, northernmost part of Los Angeles County. And um, this is sort of a, a snapshot of our data and, and what it looks like on the left-hand side, sort of what our district is made up of, of our amazing students, you know, just under 15,000 students. And um, we have 27% African-American students. You can see a very diverse uh, community here, 58% Hispanic. You can see that some of the highlights there, I won't read all of them, 14% uh, English learners and 14% students disabilities and one of the higher um, uh, highest um, in foster so 3.7 percent here and um, sometimes varies and the, the numbers do fluctuate um, but uh, that's kind of who we are but we are also 80 percent socioeconomically disadvantaged and so you know we have a, a lot of students that have a lot of needs and a lot of diversity in, in our district but also on the right hand side of that kind of began our um, problem of why. And actually, when this was put together, we had our data. They've just come out with 23-24 data, but this is our 22-23 data um, from Casper ELA. And you can just see some of the numbers just if you start at the top. Obviously, having um, less than 25% of our students met meeting or exceeding on the CASP is, is the beginning of the problem. We definitely knew there was an issue. And you can see so many of our subgroups, as you look down that data, um, we're just, you know, I, I can't be proud of that. You know, we, we were not happy with that. We're, we're not doing what we needed to do. We know that we needed to do something different. So that began, um, you know, it's, it's been like that for a while, too. And so we knew there was a problem. And we're starting with how to solve that problem. But um, I'm going to let Lorraine kind of share a, a little more deeply because it'll make a lot more sense at a school site. I was lucky enough to work with this amazing woman um, uh, many years at Joshua uh, before I moved to the district, but there's uh, such a deep story there. So we'll, we'll let her continue. Okay. So the state of California, there was a group of parents that sued the state 
And they went into the 70, 72 lowest performing schools. Um, and it was called the LAT grant. And the state chose those schools and Joshua was a recipient of those schools. We had started working with Leslie and um, in getting reading right the year prior to getting the grant. And what I want to say is that we were looking for anything to try to figure out how can our students read. But what you've but what we found through that is that you must have all of Scarborough's rope and you must have all the elements. And Leslie started that journey with us. Um, our district was proactive and we had our director of curriculum, Andrea, and a group of us that led our grant writing team on what exactly we needed to do. And so we started that path and um, we've just been continuing for the last three years. And we are seeing evidence of shifts happening in literacy. Yeah, and wow. I can just add a little bit uh, from the county level. So if you're not from California, uh, we have county offices, and then we have districts, and then we have schools. So that's kind of our structure. And mm -hmm. so Lancaster is a school district. How many schools are in Lancaster? Is it 16 elementaries? 16 I elementaries, yes. 16 elementaries, that's mm -hmm. Okay, yes, so we have four middle schools. Yeah. So just to give a little more context around this work. So about four years ago, uh, we at LACO at the county office uh, and our county, by the way, serves 1.6 million students and 81 wow. school districts. So we are a huge, huge district or huge area. And Lancaster is one of those 81 school districts that we've been working with. Mm -hmm. And partly because of what Lorraine talked about with being Joshua being part of the 75 lowest schools in California. But this grant work started about three years ago, and we had developed a teacher training program called Getting Reading Right, and mm -hmm. it was to build teacher knowledge in the science of reading and structured literacy. The point of it was that. And we had read, I'm, I'm sure those of you out here know about structured literacy, know Emily Hanford. She's our guru. We all love her because she really started this movement, you know, in 2017 with her her series on reading articles and hard words, if you've read that. And so I read that article in 2017 and started uh, looking up our scores in L.A. County. And at the time, I had been working on um, secondary uh, issues, not elementary. And so I was really intrigued by that article. And so I looked up all of the data in L.A. County for early reading, and it was appalling. I mean, Lancaster is not alone in their scores. Mm -hmm. It can be kind of, you know, they're being vulnerable in airing their, their scores here because it's not something that they're proud of. And a lot mm -hmm. of schools in California have similar issues. We have been a balanced literacy state forever. And making this shift to structured literacy is, is rolling out slow and has been a grassroots effort. And so we, we built our Getting Reading Right training prior to the Comprehensive Literacy State Development Grant. And when the grant came into, uh, they, the request for proposals for the grant came out, we had already built our teacher training program. And so we applied for this grant, got, a, got it. We got a $5 million grant and we reached out to Lancaster for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. but, but one thing I wanna tell you about the school district is that we reached out to them, not just because their scores were low, we, we knew that they needed help, but also because of who they are. Mm -hmm. They are committed, dedicated, strong leadership, tons of support from the, the district office. And we knew that if we partnered with them, they would see it through and spread this to all of their schools. And so that's kind of the context around how we chose them to be part of our grant, because the, the grant that Lorraine got was actually a little bit different from this one. And we decided to reach out to them because all other schools had this issue. I mean, a lot of a lot of these scores are so common in California, and we just wanted to make sure that we were supporting the entire district, not just um, Joshua. So this work mm -hmm. has been going on across the Lancaster School District, but but uh, Lorraine School has been a little shining star. <laughs> that is so awesome. So you know what I what I heard you say from from just that first question, that problem of practice, is that first you had to look at your data, you had to get yeah. really really honest, and um, you know it's not always pretty. Um, no, and that you, no. were willing. you saw somebody who was willing. You, Leslie, mm -hmm. something that I took from you uh, in some of our other conversations is you go with the willing, right? 
And you so, go with the willing, that's true. And you go with people who are willing to look at the reality. Yeah. I mean, we have a we have a small problem in California that people are not really shocked by these scores. There isn't a yeah. a house on fire sense of urgency that we feel. And so it's that I think has been really a struggle to try to get people to understand. We're so used to seeing these kinds of scores that it doesn't really phase us anymore. And so we're really trying to to bring that to light so that people will say, hey, come on, the house is on fire. Let's do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you know, California is not alone. I do want to I do want you to know that, you know, Learning Without Tears, we're yeah. a national company and we partner with with schools all around the world to really help them solve this issue. So I have a couple of questions for you. So, you know, one, why did you make the shift from balanced literacy? That, yeah to structured literacy. And we know that that's not an easy task. So it's a two, it's a double bear question. Why did you make the shift and how did you make the shift? I may jump in there and say, um, uh, we knew, first of all, you can see, I mean, it was pretty plain to us, but even as we began work, um, you know, in, in my capacity, I was actually working with Joshua at the time. And then very closely after that began working with, um, as a district coach and was working with both of these different grant entities and, and different grants. And so in my learning, even as a site coach, I started with getting reading, right? Like before it was even like, I feel like when I think back, it was like barely a thing, except it was, <laughs> but I didn't know it was. And yeah. I went, oh my goodness, what is this? You know? And so um, just personally, that's kind of where it began for me. And of course I have to mention that because um, I think it's like that for a lot of people. It's like, there's something that, you know, um, we joke all the time. It's, it's not a cult you're joining. This is like <laughs> science. Yeah. This is actually real stuff. And it's been around actually a lot of it for a long time. Right. I didn't know about all of it. I'd heard of some of it. And then the more I learned from getting reading right, I realized, oh my goodness. So then flash forward, you know, we we learned through the grants and everything else and we realized, okay, we're looking at data that it can't possibly stay this way. And there's there's no way this is what it's supposed to look like forever. And I have been looking at it that way for a long time, having been in our district as a teacher, as a coach for a long time. And and I think you got a little too used to looking at something like that. And Lucy's right. That's sad. That's not okay. And and um, working with Lorraine, I knew it wasn't okay because we were going around <laughs> trying to always figure out what to do. And, um, you know, so at the district level, and I represent a team of amazing people at the district. Um, I'm, I'm the district literacy coach, but, you know, my boss, my coordinator for our Department of uh, Curriculum and Instruction um, work together to, like, support this. But we learned from the grants a lot of what we did. So um, you'll see... As I kind of go through the next few slides kind of quickly, we're going to kind of circle around some of these things. But this was kind of what we went, oh, my goodness, this is what the data says. We have to do something about this. And so what we started to see was, you know, looking at kind of the way things worked, these were going to be the things we were going to have to pay attention to. First and foremost, we definitely noticed training. That meant training for teachers in a variety of ways. And we'll get to that. Um, but assessment, could not ignore that. We had a problem with the kinds of assessment we had in our hands. We were going to need more information and better assessment. Mm -hmm. And then talking about a sort of a shift in the curriculum or supplements to our curriculum because we had a struggle using the curriculum we had. And then implementation support and sustaining this is hard, hard work. So implementation. Presentation, uh, from the beginning, but also continuing that. And we're still very much on this journey. As a district, we're actually slightly behind um, the, the schools and, and some of the grants because they kind of taught some of those things. But this is sort of some of the things that you'll see. Um, in our training approach, we started immediately by trying to give teachers um, the structured literacy approach based on science of reading through um, actually the modules that I presented to the district were the same modules I learned from with uh, getting reading right. Of course, you know, they were wonderfully wonderful in sharing that. And we we were able to learn a lot um, and, and train our K2 teachers. So this began for us, you know, a big way last year, the years before that kind of our researching. And um, we kind of had to create a common language around reading instruction. And so uh, we trained everybody. I always joke, we included everybody, everybody that wants to get trained come yeah. on down like we had we included everyone of course starting with our k2 I, I say now we've grown that up actually this year um just begun with third grade but just because of the size and the number of teachers we had to do it virtually and we had to do it with you know a number of teachers that we could we could do but we definitely weren't leaving anybody out all of our special education teachers mom 
moderate were included. Our resource teachers were included. We had MTSS paraeducators. Um, all of our K2 teachers uh, can opt in to have a paraeducator in their classroom, which is incredible help. So they were trained in everything that we could train them in. We trained teachers. We trained you like everybody. And then we have instructional coaches at all of our sites that I'll talk a little bit more about in the implementation support. But um, and we included administrators, you know, we, we invited everyone. Um, it was something that we didn't want to leave anyone out. I mean, there's lots of important things, but for all of us, I think we know that this is definitely, you know, one of the most important things we do in education. So we wanted to not leave anyone out. And obviously, you know, we heard about our why, um, but we had a shared why. Like, you know, this wasn't just one site in our district, unfortunately. Right you know, it's more than that. So, um, and the training also included, we realized small group instruction because small group instruction sometimes is, is difficult, but it um, led us to realizing that we would need to support teachers in that small group instruction because getting down to our students, like looking at assessment, you have to be able to, you know, get that deep in there. And um, I'll go jump to the next part unless anyone wants to add anything, but I feel like those were those uh, pieces. And then assessment, we had iReady throughout our entire district. As a diagnostic, we were using it. It's almost, almost, it lends itself to being like a screener of sorts now for us, uh, but definitely begins and, and it's, uh, we take it three times a year, but we quickly realized that that data wasn't enough for us. We weren't getting what detailed data we needed at, sometimes what we call micro data, um, that we were needing to know more information about what uh, students knew. So early literacy assessment can be hard sometimes because it's one-on-one, -on -one, but we knew that um, the only way to do that was really to find that. And actually I learned a lot going through both grant, um, you know, kind of walks as I went through both trainings. Um, they walked us through like kind of almost a needs analysis in the ELSB grant with uh, Lorraine School. And we learned a lot about what kinds of assessment and why you should choose assessment. We need something that tells us something quick. Teachers don't have all the time in the world to just assess, they have to instruct. And so between all the things we learned, we chose to use Dibbles and we actually, um, you know, use that data. Um, we have it computerized so that we can look at it and find specific skill needs that students have in a very short amount of time because, you know, you need a lot of information, but you can't spend all day assessing. So it's kind of a balance of the two, um, along with, um, you know, other um, assessments from some of the programs that we use. Um, but that data absolutely can support a lot of things. Obviously, a district, we want to be looking at you know, where growth is happening and how it's happening, if it is happening and where it's not and where we can support, but also um, supporting even in the classroom small group instruction. Um, PLCs are integral to this and how sites work their PLCs. Um, another thing that I know Lorraine will talk a lot about, but having groups of teachers being able to look at that data as a whole and um, share what they, you know, learn from that data. And then, you know, what to be honest and to be given grace and when they don't know what to do. But then to have the support of coaches and literacy coach at, at the rain site um, and and to have that kind of support to be able to go, I don't know what to do next or I do know what to do next. Now, let's do it. You know, so those PLCs are really important conversation. And there's a little graph on that slide that just happens to be one of the many ways we can look at data. But of course, I like it because it starts with the student. And by the end of the year, they're at benchmark because a lot of times we didn't even have benchmarks and, and Dibbles gives us benchmarks. So that's really, really nice because then we know. The beginning of the year, what a student should know is not necessarily the same amount of information that mid-year and end of year it should look like. And we sometimes have standards that say, know this by the end of the year. But in early literacy, you need to have benchmarks along the way to know if I'm going to hit where I need to be by the end. So Dibbles has really helped us with that. And um, our core curriculum was just not explicit enough, not systematic enough to address word recognition without getting into the, the weeds on that. But basically, we just that it wasn't enough. Our, our teachers were struggling with using it. And so we made a um, district-wide purchase with the support of the grants um, and with the support of CLSD and, and LACO and all of what we were doing, the purchase of supplemental curriculum. And then we obviously had to train in it. So um, once teachers were learning and building their knowledge, we had to then have curriculum that would support that. Um, and as I'm saying all this, I'm getting tired because it's <laughs> exhausting. And we're at the beginning and it, it is it is it is definitely not yeah. for the faint of heart. Education is not for the faint of heart. I always say no. teaching is not for the faint of heart or literacy is not for the faint of heart. Well, here we are. But it's wonderfully amazing work. And I'm lucky to be in the group with passionate people that we know we're doing the right work. So we um definitely knew that they were going to not only need the knowledge, but the tool, right? They, they needed the curriculum to support that and the assessments to support that. So they weren't having to figure it all out on their own because we're not all reading specialists. We're just not. 
And so you've got to build knowledge, but then we do. So then establishing that small group instruction with the assessment was key. And that was all within some of the curriculum that we were using. It was really helpful. And then finally, we have implementation support on that final slide. Um, we already had instructional coaches. We have district level coaches, and then we have site-based coaches. And um, in particular at the Lorraine site, there's actually an additional literacy coach that I'll let her speak about, but it's wonderful to have that additional support. Um, because obviously me as one person at the district, we can't, I can't do that alone. I wouldn't even expect to be able to do that. Um, and we need that. Um, we are excited that there'll be additional, uh, literacy training, uh, for coaches. We had some last year, we have some ongoing, we definitely include them in all of our training, knowing that teachers need to know it as well as the coaches. And then the coaches end up supporting that on the sites. And then we focused our instructional implementation and assessment, um, just tons of support for that. We have after school support and um, it's hard. So um, we have also um, PLC time, like I said, collaboration, planning, reviewing the data, and then those MTSS paras, kind of as I was sprinkling that in, you could hear like, but just to put it all out there one more time, you can see those, those are definitely big supports. And then one that maybe isn't on a bullet here is that we do have our district support. I am a TOSA for our district, but definitely MTSS paras, um, those those paras are doing amazing work with the teachers and they're working together as teams. So all kind of stop there now that you guys have seen sort of how we rolled it out district um, and what it might look like. Well, Andrea, I love that you mentioned, again, those four really important things, training, assessment, curriculum, and implementation support. That, and that's from the top, from the district level, which is really key. But Lorraine, you know, as a, as a building principal, a former building principal, I want to know it's one thing that the district says, you got to do all of these things. How then do you actually implement in a school building, right? How does it work for you? Well, you know, it's all about building a sustainable system. So you're, so that your master schedule is reflective of the focus and that you have every single thing that has to do with literacy in the schedule and it's a non-negotiable. Um, common language, um, Andrea talked about that. But that is so key that everybody understands the science of reading and what the, what exactly that means and what it entails. Um, one thing we did with the assessments, because let's face it, assessments are really difficult, but we wanted a scientific approach to assessments. So we created an assessment team. There are five of us on it. The first go round, the assessment team is doing all the assessments so that it is a true indicator of what the students control. The second round, we split the class with the teacher and the assessment, their assessment person that's assigned to them. And the third go round, they do it independently unless they need additional assistance and then they ask us. We're here for supporting them for the assessment because you can't really implement if you don't know where your kids are. The other piece that goes with the assessment are the PLCs and the meetings with co with our literacy coach afterwards to develop a plan to group students on what groups do you want to see? How many um, groups should you have rotating um, through small group instruction? And so all of that is based on assessment. So that assessment piece for us was key. And then it's really an ongoing implementation of best practices. And so it's my job with the with the coach to make sure that we are focusing on a specific thing, either weekly or monthly, depending on what I'm seeing in classrooms. It may be clarification, but grace has to be the word of the day. And Andrea spoke to that earlier. I don't ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And that includes jumping into whatever is needed. Um, I think the other piece is succinct lesson plans, making sure that um, that they are turned in weekly, that I'm checking those. I'm doing spot checks when I'm going out into classrooms. And then if I see ineffective practices, I speak to it. I come back and I speak and we really, as a site, will focus on an instructional routine and make sure that everybody knows it from top to bottom. I must do walkthroughs and I have a calibrated tool that I use. Um, and really it's about having those conversations with our teachers, with our literacy coach, and then providing the feedback 
when I see something what good, when I see something that maybe I'm kind of wondering about, um, it's just having those conversations to keep it on the on the forefront. But engaging in the work, I mean, you, our teachers need us. Our teachers need the support. And we have to support right alongside our coach. Um, and I'm just going to say, our coach will lead us, like my coach leads us where we need to go. She knows where it is we need to go because of the extensive training that she's had. And so providing time for my teachers, um, I taught PE the first year that we implemented so that my teachers would get PLC time. And I finally got a person to help with, with PLCs and teach PE in October of that first year. And then we brought in an outside consultant. Now they hired PE teachers. So every Monday, our teachers have a PLC. And that is how we ensure that it is safe and that everybody is on the same same lane. Our literacy coach supports, um, they do pop-ins, they do, she does the data dive where they're going through the small groups. Um, we also do an efficacy survey. What do teachers need? Because you can't just think that you know, you need to ask, okay, how am I at this? What is it we need? Um, and then really looking at their strengths and doing a strengths-based um, survey. And by that, I mean, when we implemented our phonics program, our teachers were like, ah, I can't do this. But mm -hmm. what ended up happening is that they identified what they were good at in the lesson. And then their peers went to go see them. And then they debriefed afterwards. So my coach and I would take over and I had to teach that SIPS lesson. And believe you me, I was scared to teach that SIPS lesson because I didn't know what I was doing, but I did. Um, but what, what I want to say is that when you're doing those kinds of things and teachers are talking and, and learning from each other, that is how you grow. And that's how you get a, a curriculum implemented across your school. And we have we have our phonics program, not just um, K2. We actually have it K5. We have small groups going in K5 and our um, three, four, five are learning right alongside of us because um, out of 104 students last year, 68 left reading. What about wow. the ones that didn't? I mean, but I could name them because we had the data. That is we can't do that. We've got our reading. Reading is their future. And so I, I think just those, the systems thinking and making sure that everything's aligned and that you and your coach and your instructional coach, everybody's speaking the same language. That's what well, helped us. Well, I'll tell you what I also, just from what you're saying and the way in which you're saying it, Lorraine, it also sounds to me that you created a community that is safe, right? A safe community yes. where you can go around and have these conversations without a got you, that the teachers feel supported and feel like they can say, I don't know what to do. And that means a lot. That's, that's even more important. Um, that's a part of that culture of learning there that you've built. That's fantastic. It, it has to be safe because mm -hmm. if you're doing a got you, then it's not about it's not about doing the work. And in order to do the work, you've got to have the knowledge and you've got to have the skill, but it's got to be safe to learn the skill because it's not going to just come automatically. Yeah. And I think I think you're right. I think there is safety, but I'm also demanding. I mean, it it's got to be a balance of both. <laughs> I love that. Right? I love that. You're not letting anybody off the hook. You're definitely no. doing the work but you're no. creating a space for that. So, you know, with mm -hmm. that said, I, I bet <laughs> that even though you have the safe community and, and that you've been doing the, this great work, I bet you have faced some challenges and you have <laughs> learned some lessons. <laughs> Can you tell us about them? And I know, and also there's some folks in, in the chat who are interested in definitely getting some of those, uh, the coaching form and the reflection form that you guys have there as well, just so that, you know, I wanted to acknowledge Deb's comment in the, ch in the chat. Um, okay. So can you tell us about your challenges and your lessons learned? Well, I can start. 
I can start. You go, Leslie. <laughs> so, uh, so we're doing this work sort of globally in California. So uh, Lancaster School District is one district we're working with, but we've trained more than 3,000 teachers just this year alone for instruction and literacy. So, but the biggest, I think, challenge that comes up everywhere, every time is time. There is just not enough time in the day for all that we need to learn and do and practice and reflect on. And so time, I think everyone would agree, has been an issue. We started this work in COVID and our trainings are online. They remain online. We, we meet with our Lancaster folks once a month on Zoom for 90 minutes. And we do teacher training because the foundation of this work is two things. It's understanding the science of reading and the research and pedagogy behind it. Because if you don't understand that, then you don't understand why it's so important to go through every single element on Scarborough's reading rope. And so when we developed our training program, we, we, we really knew that the place to begin was with uh, pedagogy and research, not strategies. Because when you go straight to strategies or curriculum, it becomes about the curriculum and not about the knowledge around how to teach students to read. And in California, we have a lot of reading challenges. And so we want to make sure that every teacher who encounters a child can diagnose what the issue is and be able to address it, have the skills, abilities, and materials to address it. And that has been huge for us because teachers need to be the smartest one in the room, right? They need to be the experts who go out there and can address any issue sitting in front of them. And so when Lorraine told you about training K-5, we train everybody. We really do. It's paraeducators who work with small groups. After year one together, we said, oh my gosh, we need to start training the paras because they're doing a lot of small group and one-on-one -on -one work. And we have to make sure the, reader, the, the leaders are trained because they need to understand what are they monitoring and holding people accountable to. And so I can't stress enough that everybody in the system needs to have this knowledge. And the second thing is data. And so if you have a good data system, you're, you're on your way because structured literacy is also based on data. So those two things were lessons that we learned right away, that you got to start with the pedagogy and you got to have a great assessment system so that you can diagnose what are kids struggling with and how can we address it. The other thing I think that got a little difficult was that teachers got tired. It was a lot. I mean, in year one and two, year one, we were still in COVID and we were building their knowledge. And then year two, we put in curriculum, new curriculum. We spent a lot of the grant money on curriculum. And so there were they were learning all kinds of new things. And it was a lot. I mean, I and we we grace. I love that you said the word of the day, Lorraine, is grace, because we talk about this all the time. This work is messy. It's hard. And you're going to have people who are resistors and who push back and say, I'm not doing it. I'm tired. I'm not going to do this anymore. And we did have that. But we addressed it head on and we didn't let anyone hide. We said, you know, this is a shared mission. And so we want to make sure that we are all working together to make sure that this happens. And nobody got to say no. They volunteered for this project with the grant. And so we were like, well, <laughs> you're already in it. We got to keep going. And, and what happened, I think Andrea was the one who told me this. The question started changing, not, to, not from why do we have to do this? but how can we do it better? And so they started to shift and see that they were, you know, now really invested in it. And they, it was no longer a question of, you know, do I have to do this? It's how can I do it better and be more efficient and be more effective? And so we knew when they started, you know, changing the manner of their questions that we had really like the ideas had taken hold, the pedagogy had taken hold, and it was more now just an, you know, refinement and implementation and we're get, gaining knowledge in both curriculum and continuing to learn and grow in the research. So I would say that's, those were our, uh, from the county level, those were our biggest um, lessons and challenges that, you know, don't give up, it's messy and just flood people with support. And, and luckily, I mean, this is one of the reasons, somebody wrote in the chat that it sounded negative. We don't look at it like that. We were being real with our data. It's not that, that that's a negative thing. I think that's a problem we need to get over as an educational community. Of course, there are amazing things happening in Lancaster. And of course, there are dedicated, awesome teachers who are passionate and doing everything that they can. 
but they didn't have the knowledge or the skills or the research to really know how to fix it. And so the first thing we had to do was acknowledge that we had a really big problem, not just in Lancaster, but across the state of California. So we don't consider it being, you know, negative. It's just looking at what is the situation and, and how can we fix it? Andrea, before you, you go next, will you tell the little story that you told on video about, um, about not knowing what to do? And when you, when you learned what to do, how it changed you? Yeah, I feel like, you know, it was a little bit of a, I, somebody said it in the chat, like a gut punch when I was sitting there, you know, I felt like for a long time I had known this is prior to me doing this work that I knew there was something like off, like there's something like that. I don't know that maybe we should know is what it felt like, except I've been in education for a while now, you know, 22 years, you'd figure. And um, it was a bit hard when I started learning that information and then going, oh my gosh, I think I know what I was supposed to know, except I didn't remember all this and some of it I never knew at all. And then as it started to hit me, I realized, my gosh, I, you know, now I know what I need to do. And now I feel like it's a passion. I feel like it's a, you know, I feel like it's something that I know 100% is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with these students, with teachers, you know, obviously with our district. Scaling it up is a lot of hard work. But I don't feel like I can like I can't get away from it now. Now it's too in my face. It's too right there. And now I know what to do. So, of course, it's on my signature line in my email, you know, know better, do better. I have to do it because now I know. And, um, you know, and it becomes emotional. She's laughing because that's what happened to me when I was talking about this. I got a little emotional because I realized you know, I, I was a little bit at the edge of where I felt like with education, I still love being a teacher, being a coach. Um, but I had kind of lost a little bit of, I don't want to say hope because I don't think I've ever lost hope, but I think I had lost a little bit of my, you know, maybe it was passion. I don't know, but I felt like my feelings were a little different. And when I learned this and when I went, oh my gosh, I know what to do now. And I know how I can help other people know what to do now. And I know it's not just some new fad. It's absolutely on something that's deeper than that has been around, but has needed some, you know, meat to it. And I feel like all of a sudden now I know that. And so I'm moving in a direction that I feel like this could be the rest of my life, my passion for sure, my, my drive, you know, um, and I mean, I've been lucky to be a part of, you know, in both of these ladies lives, but also like happen to be, you know, um, you know, just I've had my ups and downs and I feel like I'm on, on a constant up now because I know what the goal is. Like I know where I'm headed and that's what this work has brought to me. So it's been, I don't know if that helps um, explain it well, but it feels that way to me for sure. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. way. I'm at the end of my career. I have a couple more years left and it has, this work has, has hit me with a shot of adrenaline. I just feel like mm -hmm. I now, this is my I don't want to stop until every kid knows how to read. We know what to do. And I love the, the when you know better, you do better phrase. We use that all the time because it really is true. And, yeah. and we all feel this urgency to, to get, it's a social justice issue. And we feel this urgency to, to make sure that another kid doesn't go through another school year not learning to read. And I know Lorraine is super passionate about that. Lorraine, you want to talk about yeah, Lorraine? Yeah, I was going to say, Lorraine, what, what are the challenges and lessons that you've learned that you can pass along to others? You know what, I think um, for me was really developing a process for teacher turnover, making mm. sure that everyone is living, breathing, and teaching the science of reading and having the vocabulary and the expectation that it happens every single day. You calendar it, you live it, and you check on it constantly. I mean, you're always looking for it, but and not but it's <laughs> the teacher shortage is real. Yeah. And so, you know, a school of poverty will likely receive those at the beginning levels. So you've got to make sure that you've got a plan in place to support those teachers during the day. I'm not talking after school. I'm not talking um, after work because they're tired. They're in school and we need to do the work during school hours for them in order to make it doable. Um, it's, it's all hands on deck, if, and that's every single person. I don't care whether you're cafeteria, whether you're supervision aid, whoever, librarian, principal, whoever it is. If you're at our school, it's all hands on deck. And that has been super important. The other piece is um, chronic attendance. Um, 
the area that I'm in, we have we have had to struggle with chronic attendance. We yeah. have a it's a barrier, and the barrier is one that many times the student does not control. It's the parents that are controlling that. And so we've got to get those supports in place because you miss two lessons in phonics and you're behind and that is real. And so that system of keeping track, which kids are absent during a lesson, um, you have to know that. And then you've got to come up with a way to support those students at another time during the school day for that. Um, I think, um, you know, those key components of absences is our greatest challenge mm. is what I would say, because we've developed a system of how we're, we will support new teachers, but the attendance piece we're still working on. We're, we're doing it by removing barriers. Why is it students aren't coming to school and what is it we can do to support our parents to get them here? I love that. And you know, it's it's important. That's, a, that's that's so important. I know that was a big, big issue for me as a principal, trying to figure out again, if they're not there, they're not learning, right? So we want to make sure that we can get them there. And I love that you're that you're still trying to solution that. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you all for sharing um your challenges and your lessons learned. It sounds like, you know, again, that you you really, you know, have your head on your shoulders and you have that passion in your hearts. Now you know, you talked about professional learning and professional learning is, you know, near and dear to my heart as a professional learning uh, de uh, develop, uh, director of development here and Learning Without Tears, you know, so I know how important and how integral, uh, you know, leadership and professional learning is, but, you know, how exactly did you make sure that everyone, including leadership, because I, I think it's really interesting. I know one, one thing that I missed as a principal, at least in my, my tenure, I, whenever there was a PD, it always kind of came second. I, if something was going on at the school, I would send someone else. Um, how did you make sure that your leadership received professional learning? Um, you know, how did it work in your school system? I can talk to that. Um, I actively sought that out. Mm -hmm. if, if there was something to learn, I was there. And I never ever sent my teachers to anything or provided a PD that I was not there right alongside of them learning with them. And I think that piece is what develops trust. It also develops the expertise in order to know what it is that you're looking for. Um, through ELSB, I had to attend eight hours of training a month. And we were required to do that as principals. Um, I ended up adding on the coaches piece to that. And so I attended that as well so that we would have a shared language and our teachers would not get the mixed messages. Um, I think that that is one of the most important things that has led to us being able to develop trust and develop the systems is because I know what's coming and I know what the expectation is and I understand how the pieces fit together. And that's because of getting reading right and along with the other, whatever PD it is that I attend. Um, it leads into everything. If you don't know what it is that teachers are learning, then you can't monitor what you don't know. Wow. That's fantastic. So how did you develop a professional learning community for your teachers? Like, what are the things that you did? I know you have a slide for that. Well, you know what? We did um, PDSA cycles. And this comes out of, um, it's a system systematic approach where you do, you figure out what it is you're trying to do, and then you collect the data surrounding that, and then make whatever changes you need to based on the data. And what we did is we set individual and grade level goal setting, and they de they decided what it is that they wanted to work on for short-term goals. And we did this, collected the data, studied the data, came back to it in these cycles that we did. Um, we also did a mini instructional round. So it wasn't like the full blown, you're doing it the whole day and your team's going in. It was those mini where they identified a strength 
And then they went in and saw each other and then debriefed afterwards while we took over. Because, you know, the sub shortage in California is real. We don't have subs. So you got to figure out a way and think outside the box. Um, but that she's the queen of this. I just have to tell you, this is such <laughs> like I have to jump in and tell you, she is so good at finding a creative mm-hmm. way to make something like that happen. Like when you're a principal, I never knew you could be so creative till I knew her. Like this, this particular one was in, when I heard about them doing this, because I obviously see them and know the coach. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. They're going to share each other's strengths and look at what they need to. And they're going to see each other in this little mini sort of way that with this sub shortage, we were struggling as a district to do. But here she goes, figured it out. It, it was really <laughs> neat. I just have to well, say hats off. Thank you. And we use that same process now for anything that we're trying to implement, because that's how you get implementation to really happen. And we ensured that our teachers meet not just horizontal, vertically, like just the grade level, but also up and down K-5. I think that as they're learning lesson progressions and how everything builds on to each other, um, they have to understand that the grade level before them they're not coming as a blank slate. They've been taught what they're supposed to be taught and they need to not go back, but they need to move forward. And what helped us with that are those vertical and horizontal commonalities. And then here's the key, admin walkthroughs to monitor implementation. <laughs> yeah. You know what? what, if you don't check on it, it doesn't happen. That's all really true. say. We spent that grant money on a, on a tool for the whole district to use called DigiCoach. And we were able to take all of the pieces that we had taught them in getting reading right and put that into the monitoring tool. They customize it. So it was a, it's, it's a really good point, Lorraine. You, you have to yeah. be able to go in and it's not to when, you know, often like the monitoring and these little tools can feel punitive to teachers. And we want them, we, we told them right from the beginning, this is not about being punitive. It's about figuring out where can we provide more support? What needs yeah. more support? And because there is such limited time during the day, you really have to be careful that you don't waste time and that you know exactly what the needs. It's kind of like the structured literacy, you know, approach with kids. You have yeah. to be efficient about it so that you can use your time wisely. And if everybody already knows a lot about phonological awareness, we don't spend time on that. We go to the thing that people are struggling with. So I think it's a really good point. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so I really would love um, for you to, to now let's move on to meeting the needs of all learners. You at the top of the show, you you talked about and showed us the data, the, the disaggregated data, um, talking about all of your subgroups. How do you support teachers in making sure, you, you mentioned, you know, this, this that reading is, is, you know, really, really, it's a social justice issue. How do you make sure that those subgroups are making gains? Before you dive into the district, let me start just from the overall view, because in LA County, we really do believe that reading is a civil right. It's, it's, it is a social justice issue because our scores indicate that it's mostly black and brown students who are suffering. And we want to make sure that those kids are not being left behind because we're afraid to look at our, at our student group data. And so, and both of these grants that we're involved in, the ELSB grant and the CLSD grant, are a result of us not really doing our job in reading and being sued over it. And so, that, you know, and because our scores in our different student groups were so low, we have flooded. I mean, there's been a hundred million dollars in the last five years put into reading and literacy, and we still have a really long way to go, but we feel like there's traction now. And so I feel like having these, having structured literacy as the base of this has given us a platform to, to lead from. Mm-hmm. And now everyone can look directly at, at each individual student and know not just where they're struggling, but what to do to fix it. And I feel like in our other system, we didn't have that. We were throwing a lot of strategies against the wall to see what would stick. And it really wasn't helping kids, you know, make great gains in their reading achievement. And now we're pretty focused. We're laser focused on what are the specific needs and how are we going to fix those? And that's how you get at your your student group issue. The other thing is this work takes hearts and minds. You got to change hearts and minds. They're a piece of the puzzle. People have to feel the desire to help kids who are not achieving. 
And that doesn't, you know, we assume that because most people go into teaching because they love kids and they want to make a difference. You know, no one gets up in the morning and says, oh, I want to go, you know, ruin some kid's life today. No one does that. But we didn't have the tools and and ability and skills to do this prior to this work. It's like what Andrea was saying. We didn't know about structured literacy. We didn't know the research. And so we're just trying to get it out there so that we can make a difference for the kids who need us the most. It was and said let- somewhere on something about mm-hmm. un- teachers having unfinished learning around yes. all of this, the same as students after the Thanks. pandemic. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that was such a neat way to say it because students have that, but teachers sort of had some unfinished learning around some of this too. But Yes, all of us. Well, when when Leslie talks about reading being a civil right, it is even much more than that. We're talking about access to their future. We're talking about access to a job. We're talking about to their future. So when she talks about civil right, it is the great equalizer. It is what our kids need in order to be successful in the new world. Because you know what? They're preparing for a world we don't know. And if they can't read, they're going to be relegated to poverty for the rest of their life. And so I'm, I I feel very strongly about this and I um, it's a call to action every single day. We can't afford to let our kids not learn how to read and shame on us if we do. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it's, it's the assessment system. It's the looking at it, being humble enough to ask when you need help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's making sure that it happens every single day that you're a community. And, you know, this year, my, my team came up with jets breaking barriers. That's our tagline. Because we are determined that our kids are going to learn how to read and that we're going to do whatever it takes. I think, you know, one of my um, recently, I think it, I don't know if it was you, Leslie, or who Emily was talking, one of my second grade teachers, brand new teacher, um, emergency credential. But she was talking about how now in her second grade class, her students are in extension and she's only got five students who are in beginning. And she recently said, I know, she recently said, I used to be able to put up my email and read my email during class. I can't do that anymore. And I said, all right, we're getting where we need to be (laughs) for our kids and the future. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I've, I feel very strongly about reading. It is the great equalizer. We can't tell, Lorraine, at all. I, mean, I, I see why we love these people so much and why we chose Lancaster as our partner, because they are so dedicated and it they're is, putting their money where their mouth is. Oh, yes, it is. It is obvious. And Lorraine, you gave me chills today. I just want you to know um, I, I really appreciate it. I want to, you know, we have so much that we could we could talk all night and day, as you yeah. guys know. Um, I want to let you know, we, we have five minutes. I want to make sure that we give the folks on the call an opportunity to ask uh, some questions. But before we do that, I want to remind you, someone mentioned, hey, we need another, we need a one, another one of these. And so essentially, um, you know, I, I had an opportunity to work with Leslie, which is why I knew they would be fantastic on this particular call. But um, essentially, Leslie and I actually have a series on, on our um you know, we I have a show called Literacy Matters, Conversations with Cheryl. And we, we I talked to lots of great people uh, doing wonderful things in literacy. But I had an opportunity to do a series with, with Leslie on really how to develop a, an awesome, um, you know, system uh, to, to really help your students learn to read and help your teachers become better teachers of reading. And so from that, she mentioned a literacy, literacy action plan. And from there, people wanted to know more. So we actually came together and, and built a literacy action plan that you can go to our website and download. We'll put it right there in the, in the chat for you. It's already been put there. Feel free to use that as a tool. Like I said, it, it comes from these great, the work that these great folks do. And then finally, I know that we're going to talk you know, we, one of the things we would have mentioned is the whole important thing about family engagement. And 
they have lots of great things that I know they're doing mm -hmm. with families, um, for sure. Lots of great activities and, and great plans to involve families. Um, and we just wanted to let you know that we also have something that we, you can use for families. And that's our decodable books, which we are going are gonna to put the put that in the chat for you as well uh, for families, but also for your teachers as well. Um, so what I'd love to do, because I know there are lots of great questions. Um, why don't we open it up uh, so that we can get some some questions from our our wonderful audience? And thank you so much for being so attentive and active in the in the chat. So let's get it. Let's get a question. Lorraine, what tips can you share on how a school can navigate implementing this work with teacher staff shortages? Ugh. Slow and steady. If you have a sub, I don't care who the sub is, and they're passionate about the work and they have the heart. Embrace them and teach them and help them implement. Um, it doesn't, I, I, what I have found is that if they have the heart, they'll do the work. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's just a matter of in, inspiring and supporting. And when I talked earlier about doing the work during the school day, that is so important when you've got teachers who don't have credentials or who are working on those credentials after school. You've got to provide the support during the school day. I'd also say it's not just about training teachers. <clears throat> it's what Lorraine said earlier about building a system. So if it was yeah. as easy as just training teachers, this would be easy work, but it's not. It's about building a system. And when you have a system, you have internal trainers. You have site-level coaches mm -hmm. who can train new people who come in. And you have archived materials that people can um, can be paid to spend time going through and learning themselves. So when you build the system, the system can support whatever barriers are thrown at you. So that's another thing that I think is is really crucial. Yeah. Make sure that you just don't train teachers on a curriculum or, you know, train yeah. teachers, um, you know, in general. Make yeah. sure that the entire system works and you have internal trainers, you have coaches who know, yeah. you have an, a leader who knows, because then if one person leaves, the system doesn't fall apart. Or if you get lots of holes in your staff, the system doesn't fall apart. So yeah. system, system work is crucial. And what what I love about what I love about that is also a part of that system that we talked about, Leslie, is also paras. Paras are yeah. powerful, and and we underutilize yes. paras all the time. Yep. It's really critical for us to make sure that we are also training up and utilizing our passionate paras who have these great relationships with children. Yeah, who also may go on and become teachers if That's you can right. get them. Like Home if you grown. go through CSEA. <laughs> has a scholarship where they will pay for them to become teachers. So there are systems in place to assist. And if you could get a para to get into that system, you're going to be so blessed. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. We have three more questions. This will be the lightning round. Was training, throughout, <laughs> was training throughout the year or in summer? Training was for throughout the year, uh, monthly sessions. Okay. Yeah, we don't have the ability to do it. Oh, we have to do it all mostly during the year and then, yeah, yeah ongoing. Leslie, are there implementation monitoring tools that you can suggest or recommend? Uh, well, like I said, you can use things like DigiCoach, which go on your phone. It's an app that goes on your phone and it, it does a lot of great things. It can provide feedback and all of that. We even have a paper one. Um, that we created based on our training program. So, I, I mean, I'm happy to share that if you would like to see it. Um, but it's really basically just going through the elements of Scarborough's Rope. What are the things that we taught them to do related to each element on Scarborough's Reading Rope? And then you go look for that. And so it's very, we're trying to be transparent about it. I think that's another thing is we don't want teachers to feel like any of this is punitive. It isn't about, you know, do this, do, you know, it's about having no gotchas. No gotchas. <laughs> no gotchas. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into the last question here. What type of feedback do you give when you see a teacher that still needs to improve after they've had the professional development? Oh, they have a great system of coaching. It, it, it Coaches are the glue that hold a system together. They really are. And so if they did not have an Andrea and all the other site coaches, this would be a lot harder than it's been because we have had, we had an mm -hmm. entire third grade team who tried to resist and say, nope, we're not doing it. And we flooded them with support. 
And they had turned around a month later, they turned around at a, at a meeting in front of 120 people and said, we were wrong. We, we were scared and we've oh, had all this support and it's going great. So I would say, don't give up on people who resist. They usually just need support. I think coaching done right also provides a really good place for safe conversation to happen. Obviously, I was a site coach before I did what I do now at the district, and it's a little different role now, but site coaching provides a place worth one-on-one where those conversations can be a little bit more. And like Lorraine was saying earlier, you can kind of get to the bottom of sometimes there's barriers that they don't even know they have until you have a conversation that's not in front of others or maybe in front of just their grade level. So I think site coaching is, is really important for that. It has been an absolute pleasure to be with with all of you today. Thank you so much. I just learned so much when I'm with you guys. Um, it's been just a pleasure. Thank you for being honest and candid and also so passionate. This is truly, uh, it, it is a civil right and it is a great equalizer. And, and I'm excited that people like you are on the ground doing this work. And thank you all for joining us. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks, Cheryl. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.